Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay. Let's uh, talk about these internal aspects, okay? Let's give a big picture perspective on them. Okay, first of all, in Budo, there is a concentric paradigm to everything such that as you're working for, let's say, what, what modernity would accept as a spiritual virtue, let's say the virtue of humility, okay? So as you work for a virtue like humility, in a concentric paradigm, in a pre-modern paradigm, the process by which you cultivate humility is going to be the same exact process by which you do the internal aspects. So if you look at things, the way that Uke's energy is allowed to pass through you and the way that you become permeable, that energy passes through you, it is an equivalent to a kind of emptiness of self or a release of self or a displacement of self where you actually become vessel-like. And until you become vessel-like, that energy will not pass through you. It will stop at the surface. You will be pushing back on it. And that will remain the same whether you're moving your arm in the same direction or not. Just as if you become a vessel, you can move your arm in a direction that externally is oppositional to what they're moving or how they're moving, and it will still pass through you. You will still not be contesting it. So in the same way, Pre-moderns would understand this emptying of self or this humility not in the way that us moderns are restricted to as a kind of kowtowing. But the process at which you become permeable or the process in which you become a vessel, whether it be, I don't feel threatened by your will to power. Or, I don't feel threatened by your force coming at me. All of it passes through me. That, that, those two processes are exactly the same. That's the big picture. Well, let's take the internal aspects, either from a martial perspective, or even just from a live training perspective, okay? Or even just Kihon Waza. 
But it's because of the big picture that as you work in a live training environment or Jiwaza or a martial application, it is simultaneously a spiritual exercise. But how does it work at a tactical level? That's, that's what's key, okay? And what, there's so many things that make it confusing for a modern Aikidoka. And first and foremost is that most do not even know that those skills exist. They just don't. It's beyond their imagination. Then you have a whole other segment who can imagine it, but that's the problem. They're imagining it. So they fill in the blank with what they know, which is not it. This is how you get the confusion or the misunderstanding that holds that Kokyu is biomechanical efficiency. Or even where you get the, uh, the logocentrist who will just look up the kanji and go, oh, Kokyu breath, it's about breathing. Or the psychologist in the art who will go, no, 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 it's about intention, it's about your imagination. These, these are all themselves imaginations. They're misleading. But on the other side of the people, and they're few, and they've always been few. Even in an art in, in Tai Chi that I would say tries to really just specialize on, in these two skills at the cost of almost everything else. So they develop drills and exercises that are geared towards the cultivation of these skills. And in that sense, they are working to lower the intensity of the training environment so that it's producible, just like any teacher would, and then prolong the duration in which the lesson can take place, again, so that the skill can be honed. But among that few, because even in Tai Chi, they will say, this is, this, without a doubt, we know what we're trying to do, and we know how you're supposed to do it, but there's not many that can. But even amongst those few, because they train in that kind of drill, there's even less that actually know that it is just a drill. And so when that group takes these skills into a martial situation, they're caught off guard because they're trying to do the drill. That, that to me, is your, your, your spectrum of ignorance. So when you use the internal aspects martially, then how do I get off this spectrum? Well, okay, first you have to know what they are. 
how they differ from intention, imagination, breath, biomechanical efficiency. Yes, the, the kanji has breath, but breath to pre-modern man does not mean breath as it does to us. That word changes and changed over time. So look, getting your kanji dictionary, dictionary does nothing for you. But when I understand what's going on, I have this energetic manipulation. And it takes two shapes and then any combination thereof. But in essence, there is separating energy and there is uniting energy. And really what these are about, it goes all the way back to pre-China thought. Efficiency counts. And even today in a, in a martial situation, it is better to be more efficient than less efficient, all things being equal. So this energetic manipulation of uke or the attacker, it allows you to move things along that spectrum, either away from you or in communion with you, in a very efficient manner. But you can't make the mistake that the internal martial artist makes and confuse the drill for the application. In a martial situation, you're only looking for a fraction of a second of adhesion. Maybe a fraction of an inch of projection. But it is enough. It is enough. So you can work externally, you can work through your strength output, you can, those, those things work. Those are also ways of manipulating uke or the attacker. But they're not as efficient. They're not as efficient because they come at a higher energy expenditure. And they have a lower mechanical ceiling on them, meaning they will function less as the opponent gets stronger or faster or heavier. And they also come with a cost to other things. So for example, If my yield or my absorption is coming from an external traversing in space, then I'm going to need space. And if I'm going to need space, I'm going to need time. 
And if I'm going to need time, I'm going to have to have awareness earlier. And those are huge luxuries in a combative situation. Just imagine you, you have a race and you set your race up like that. You're going to race somebody and you go, I get to go first. I don't have to run as long as you do. Right? My lane goes downhill. I mean, come on. That can't be efficient because those are all luxuries. And to go into a martial situation with a luxurious mindset is just the antithesis of the warrior's way. You should be assuming the other thing. All odds are against me and nobody's coming to save me. So efficiency is important. Another thing, if my manipulation of uke or the attacker requires, let's say, a bracing against, then I immediately enter into a pay-as-you-go dichotomy between mobility and stability. So the more that I can brace or the more I need to brace, so therefore the more I can brace, immediately the more I pay in mobility. And with these internal skills, as you've seen before, you can be on one foot. And if you can be on one foot in a drill, in a combative situation, you can stay moving. You can move and still have that kind of postural integrity to what you're doing. Moving doesn't mean you're now light and able to be pushed across or pushed out or displaced. So these internal skills are really about efficiency, reducing the cost of things, lowering the cost of things. But in a martial situation, you're really only looking for those fractions of a second, those fractions of an inch. Now, maybe somebody who... doesn't have much experience in a combative situation, they might think that's not worth it. But that's only because they are not in those situations. These things are decided by those fractions. And you've done enough live training where you know it's not working because the fraction is off. It makes the total difference between what works and what doesn't work. Even take the technique the other night with the, the arm bar. It's, if it's too low, even by half an inch, it's not working. You take too long getting the, the top knot 
you're not getting the arm bar. If inches, you know, fractions of an inch and fractions of a second didn't count, we would not have these kind of sequential control points in our technique. You could do everything dynamic, just outrace the other guy. But you should know enough already that it just doesn't work. Not against a resisting person. Not against another live person who's countering me, has their own offensive agenda. It does not work. You need to think in fractions of a second and fractions of an inch. So on the one hand, if you cannot adhere for great lengths of time or project for great distances in your drills. You're never going to get those fractions of communion or fractions of projection in a live situation. But at the same time, getting it in your drill does not mean you can do it in that live situation. The live situation is the antithesis of a drill in that it is too intense to be good at cultivating the required skill. It's like you don't know how to swim and we're throwing you in the middle of the ocean. You probably won't swim very well. You might not even swim at all. So when you get some semblance of the skill in the drill, you can't make that internal martial artist mistake. And you think you're going to be projecting people all over the place, adhering to them all over the place. It doesn't happen like that. It's just a snap. That's your opening. And it just goes from one snap to the next snap to the next snap to the next snap. So in this technique, it's just you're taking too long. Some of you are taking too long. And you, then you have to resort to external stuff. Then it only works when you're stronger than the other person or taller or what have you. And you're still muscling the hell out of it. And anything you muscle in the dojo just will not work outside of the dojo. It has to be completely effortless in the dojo, even in a live situation. So if I'm, if I'm training myself in my firearm, in my duty weapon, and I'm sitting there, I'm five yards away from the target, I get all the time in the world, no pressure, no time limit, nothing, flat, square range, I better be putting a bullet hole in a bullet hole. Because the second I go live, it's just massive performance degeneration. 
So if I'm trying to do my technique and I fail so bad at the internal aspects and you're now reduced to the external aspects, you're putting a lot more energy and force into that technique. You got to have the mind, this is not going to work. You're doing that big man Aikido. But if you got some skill at the internal aspects, you got to shorten everything. You got to think in snaps. Your adhesions should feel like a tug almost. Boom, like a quick jerk. And your projections are percussive. And you should never feel them. They, they, they're pushing on you. you should, the energy's going through you. You've become a vessel. So if, if my martial viability is talking about percussions and tugs, snaps of control, there's no time for my mind to be in any kind of reactive state, any kind of fear-driven modality. I'm going to be behind. I'm not a vessel. I'm filled with fear and ego attachment, and the mind is fettered. This is why when you go to find the leg, it's already gone. Because you're going in and out of consciousness. But the fight is moving, and it's moving at the speed of life, but your mind is fettered. So here's the thing. To become a vessel is a metaphor. Vessel is a metaphor. It's the becoming. You should go, what do you mean by becoming? What's the ING of vessel? Well, think about it. Remember, it's a concentric paradigm. So if Uke is pushing on me, it's because I'm pushing on them. I'm holding my ground. As Uke is practicing their own territoriality, you are as well. That is the only way you can feel Uke's weight. You're holding your ground in some way. You're not releasing it. Your ego and your fear has made the place where you are standing significant because you remain significant to yourself. You have to release that ground 
Then you just follow the concentric practice. You must release your self-significance. You must release yourself. If my mind is fettered, I can't be quick. It's impossible to reduce these internal aspects to those fractions. They're just too sluggish. But more than that, they're too late. And now you have to resort to external things, and then you have to pay. You're getting pinned. That leg is way too heavy for my bicep. And if you pay attention, you'll, when you enter that state, your mind has lost all environmental awareness. You have no clue if there's another attacker or anything else. Is there a car coming at me? Is the person drawing a weapon? You have no clue. So yes, you, you have to maintain consciousness, not get stuck, not lose that awareness, which you always will through your egocentricity or your attachment to self. You always will. And, you will, and as you do that, you will always go external because you're not permeable. The force cannot go through you. You are not a vessel. All this happens concentrically. But to undo it is nothing more than the same skill all the time. Let go. Release. Let go. Do you see, as it happens one way concentrically, it gets undone one way concentrically. Release. If your release cannot happen at the level of their energy. If their energy cannot pass through me, then you're not really releasing the ground either. Where you know, You're not really releasing your territoriality. You think you are, but you're not. That's the rule of this concentric paradigm. You might step back eventually, but it's too late. You know, you might get out of the way when you're ready, but it's too late. So even with the with the beginning with the jab coming at your face, if you want to protect your face, you're going to get hit in the face. You're too slow. You have to release. And when you release, there becomes an intangible ike adhesion to them. It becomes blurred whether you made them throw that jab or you just knew they were going to throw that jab. But who gives a shit? Not you. So watch the videos. There's some drills. I'm not even looking at the person. 
because it costs to look. If you got to see everything, right? If you got to look at everything to see everything, that's not very efficient. You got huge pockets of unawareness that still need to be addressed. I read a um, safety bulletin that came out. In a different city, three police officers were eating in a restaurant and they noticed that there was this person that was kind of mean-mugging them constantly. And they noticed that person go out, get up, go out to their car, come back in. How many times do you notice that when you're out eating, do you see? You're just into your own food, your own task. Then they hear the racking of a slide of a pistol. You know how loud restaurants are. So they get up, surround the guy, draw down, don't move. Of course, what, what, what? Oh, no, he did. He went out to his car, got a 9mm pistol, brought it back into the restaurant, and put it around in the chamber. This, this is awareness. This is martial awareness. Not into your own stuff. I'm here to eat. I like my food. I'm having my own conversation. I got stuff to do after this. You have to be present. Well, your live training environment is just a microcosm of that same requirement. Just everything's being amplified. So when you go for the lat pull and you give up the check on the on the, on the guillotine at the elbow, it's not that you just do that. It's also you're not aware you're doing that. You're not aware somebody is chambering around. Why? Because you are interested in other things. You have your own agenda. I want to hurry up and get to the lap pull. There is no lap pull if there's a guillotine put on you. There's you choked out. Think about, too, how much movement you were requiring. You're going around and around and around and around. In a world where I tell you it's fractions of a second and fractions of an inch, why are you using the whole mat for your movement over, all over the place? You're going around and around and around. You're moving so much. And Uka's not going anywhere. 
So release. Release stopping your face from getting hit with the jab. Release. I got to do this throw. I got to pull that lat. Find your connection. Find your adhesion points. Require only a fraction of a second. Fraction of an inch. That's it. Technique's done. It's over. Anything that requires a huge force output, it's not going to work. I got to go back and I got to figure out where am I externally paying? I don't just do the next rep in another big guy Aikido. They have to feel nothing. Not my resistance, not my own territoriality, not my own fear, not my own will to power, not my own reactivity, not my own mind. All that gets released. Now, maybe you can't do it. in the live situation, so we went to more of a Kihon situation, okay? Maybe you can't do it at first, but you know what? Rep 20 should not look like rep one. Stop muscling, stop contesting, release, release, release. It's not like it was working anyway, so what do you got to lose? Right? You don't want to release because you think it's not going to work. It wasn't working anyways. So you don't have anything to lose, but your ego is convincing you you are. Even as you're losing, your ego is convincing you that if you don't do this, you'll lose. That is strange. Try to remember these things. Do not contest great exertion in the dojo does not work. This is kind of what I was telling you when if I go to do the lap pull and they check my arm down, it's because that's where there's no exertion to now do the katagaruma. You see, that's where there's no exertion. To try to pull them down at the waist is going to take a lot of exertion. You can see how effortlessly he goes up. Pop. Or you're doing your yesterday's technique with um, the arm bar. Remember, it's got to be so tight. No gaps. No exertion. No freaking out. No emotional upheaval. That's how training has to be. Just like you have to be able, under these idealized conditions, to put a bullet in a bullet hole in a bullet hole in a bullet hole because it only goes downhill from there. So I think we, we have this kind of spectrum here in the dojo. We have some people that have some adhesion and some projection skills, but they're not short enough. They're, they're still being drawn out. 
and so you're moving a lot. But then we have other people that are stuck on the external stuff. And you just, you have to go, this isn't working. Quit telling yourself it's working. It's not working. You know you pushed really hard right now. Or you know you didn't throw that person. This is, this is that you should register that and then at least, at a minimum, make a new mistake. Not the same mistake. But it should be a mistake in releasing. Because that is the concentric solution. Release. Now, this isn't, again, don't go to the other side of, of your external la-la land where you're all soft and mushy. That's a, just a different side of the cowardice coin. The mountain up there is not contesting with anyone. Go try and mush it. Don't confuse non-contestation with weakness. You should know by now those aren't the same. So maybe you make that mistake one time. Now you make a new one in releasing. But release everything. But, of course, most of all, you, right? You know what you feel. You know you're grabbing extra hard there. You know you're freaking out. You know it. Remember, this is as good as it gets. So if you're going to stop freaking out anywhere, it's got to be here. This concludes this episode of Budo the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S E N S H I N C E N T E R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.